Ephesians chapter 5. And while you're turning, I'll just say it's such a blessing to be here. I'm just so amazed by the opportunity to hang out with you guys. Um, Thanks a lot, Alan, for inviting me. It's really, really cool to be with you. Appreciate being here. If you're looking for Ephesians, it's uh, before Genesis and after Revelation. So, just kidding. Sorry, I'm stupid. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 14. Let's read the word together. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Verse 14, that is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's the subject of our message today for the morning session, the idea of waking up. And I think sometimes you can experience what's called a rude awakening. I remember watching this YouTube video of this guy who, it was like one of those like um, Japanese game shows, which if you know are super weird. Um, so what they did was um, they, they got a crew of guys into this, this man's house. He's a really heavy sleeper. So they were able while he was sleeping to pick up his bed put it in the back of a truck while he was in it, drive it out to a field. Then they put his bed in the middle of a horse area. And then they tied his feet to a horse. And then they hit the horse and the horse ran out. And the guy's like, whoa, and he gets dragged out of bed. And I was like, that's terrible. You're, you're terrible people. Why would you do that? It's a rude awakening. And often God is looking to wake us up. And I think there's people here in this room where God is looking at you today and he wants you to wake up to the reality of him and his kingdom. You might think being woken up might be kind of harsh, but I think God is looking to shake us up out of something called comfy, cozy Christianity, which is just that Christianity where it's all about how you feel and not about actually following Jesus. I think today God is always looking to do something fresh. I read a story about a man named Gary Dockey who was a police officer who was shot in the head while on duty. And the man ended up sleeping in a coma for seven years. And during that time, he couldn't hear, he couldn't see, he couldn't understand, and he couldn't speak. He was dead to the world. And then one day a miracle happened. The man woke up and he recognized his family. And 18 hours later, he actually spoke his first words. He remembered the past. He went into surgery for his lungs and sadly he died after that. You know, many people are physically alive, but they're in a spiritual coma. They're unaware of the divine realities of God's love. They're out of communication with God. They're not speaking to God. They're not hearing God's voice. They're not speaking God's truth, and they're dead to the reality of the supernatural world that's all around us. And you might be here, and you might be like, that can't be me. I mean, Paul writing that word, Wake up, sleeper. That absolutely, I mean, that's not me, right? That's for the thinners, thinners. 
looking around, you sinner. <laughs> no, I mean, who did Paul write that to? He wrote it to the church in Ephesus. He wrote it to the Ephesian Christians. So this is absolutely a word for Christians because you can have a saved soul and a wasted life. You know, according to the book of Acts, Paul spent better than two years in Ephesus, and he was emotionally attached to the believers there. You know, the main theme of Ephesians is the church and the body of Christ. And uh, in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We can be asleep as Christians. And the reason I'm passionate about fighting comfy, cozy Christianity is because it's one of my biggest temptations. It's so easy as a Christian to just go through your life going, God, what are you going to do for me? God, how are you going to bless me? How are you going to make me happy without ever stepping out of your comfort zone to do anything great for God, to share your faith, to try to attempt personal growth? I know so many students back home in California who they're, they're getting close to 20 and they've never really pursued growth. It's always just been, you know, the only time they ever do well is when they're discipling with someone, when someone's meeting with them. And then as soon as that's over with, the growth stops because they're wanting someone else to hold their hand and lead them when they need to have their own walk with Christ. Maybe that's you. If you're here today and if you're a sleeper, and, and, and listen, a Christian may be asleep and not know it. I remember one time, see, I, I used to have this problem. It was this weird condition called vasovagal syncope. <laughs> this is an actual condition. Uh, and, and basically what would happen is I would pass out and I had, I had trigger warnings. Uh, this was before I even knew the phrase hashtag triggered. Uh, I guess that's a thing now. Uh, but I, my trigger was uh, anytime anyone would talk about medical stuff, I would pass out. Like, so one time I'm in class, this is the first time it happened, and um, my teacher's talking about kidney stones, which if, if you don't know what it takes to get those out of you, you're lucky that you don't know. I didn't know. So he's talking about what goes through the process, you you have to pee them out, basically. It's like peeing out rocks. Doesn't that sound like fun? So much fun. So I'm in, I'm in sixth grade. I'm sitting there in class, and he's, like, describing. And my, my teacher, like, the whole class was listening to him. They're eating it up, and he was just loving it. And he's like, oh, man, it was so crazy. And I'm sitting there listening, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's happening to me? My head's getting light. I don't understand. This is weird. And I turn to the girl next to me, and I'm like, That's what she said. I looked at her and I slapped my face a couple times. She was like, that's weird. I passed out, fell asleep, wet my pants. Not the best day in sixth grade. (laughs) But as a Christian, we can fall asleep and not know it. We can pass out and everyone else around us maybe sees it, but we don't. You might think, I'm not asleep. If I was asleep, my friends would wake me. Because a true friend would wake someone up if there was danger. But consider the possibility that your friends might be asleep too. Sleepers sometimes go to drastic measures to keep others from waking them up. Like, for instance, smashing the alarm clock. Have you ever done that? The alarm clock goes off and you just whack it and unplug it. You're like, I'm not doing this, not today. Some people 
put in earplugs. Other people bolt the door. And perhaps today you're bolting the door to your heart. Perhaps today you're ignoring the alarm of the spirit. Perhaps today you have spiritual earplugs in. I remember um, there was this one kid in my youth group and I asked him, I was like, Jordan, you're not growing. What's going on? He's like, when I'm in church, I just don't learn anything. And he would always sit in the back with his hood up, you know. I found out every time he was in church, he had his earphones in and he was listening to music. It's like, dude, of course you're not learning anything. Maybe that's you here today. A person can do a ton while asleep that makes them look asleep. You ever sleepwalked? Sometimes you can be a, you can look like you're awake, but you're not. I remember one time, um, so my, uh, my, uh, step, or no, my father-in-law, his name's Ronnie. He's a, he's from Oklahoma. He, he's a hillbilly, man. He's crazy. He's got the long hair. He's always got like a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He's all, well, I'll, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> That's just kind of him. Um, great guy, super funny. And I remember a story that, um, my wife told me about when they were growing up. And when him, uh, when, when, when Ronnie was young, he's like in his, uh, probably like twenties, so one day, um, Deanne, that's my uh, wife's mom, she's up late at night and Ronnie had gone to sleep and all of a sudden he's up and awake and he's walking around and he's changing all the light bulbs in the house. He's like going around checking them and, and, and she's looking at him. She's like, something's not right about him. Like he seems like he's in a daze. He's just going around changing the light bulbs and, and he go, he's sleepwalking. He's like totally just doing it in his sleep. So Dee goes over and she goes, Ronnie, what are you doing? And he goes, light bulbs, Dan." light bulbs. <laughs> he's like, she's like, something's weird. So he's like just walking around, totally bumping into walls. And then he goes and sits down in the couch and, and he puts his hands in his head and he starts going, Ugh. and she's like, Ronnie, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he goes, I've always been this way. And she goes, what way, Ronnie? And he goes, I'm a racist. <laughs> He totally isn't. He's like the least racist person I know, but apparently sleepwalking Ranny thinks he's a racist. I don't know. (laughs) Listen, you can look like you're awake and totally be in a stupor of sleepiness. I think God has something to say to you guys this morning. God has a wake-up call for all of us. And the first, if you're taking notes, is wake up to love. You see, this is the main point of Jesus' message to those who are asleep. I remember one time, uh, my buddy Trevor Daigle, um, best friend, uh, he's the best man at my wedding, and we went to Bible college together, and that dude loved to sleep. And he's a buff guy, he has these big, beefy arms, and um, I remember we would try to wake him up sometimes, we'd go over to him, and he'd be in his bed at Bible college, and we'd shake him, and he would just punch us in the face. He just, he'd be totally laying there, just boom, like, just, don't wake me up. But that's not what the Lord is after, an angry wake-up message. No, it's a message of love. And in love, awake is really the kindest thing that Jesus could say to us. You see, a father sings a lullaby to his kids to get them to sleep, and it's a tender moment. And a father can lovingly wake up a child. Have you ever been woken up by your parents and just kind of that like, you know, hey, how's it going? And they like rub your head and give you a little shoulder massage. And they're like, hey, how you doing? Most of you guys are teenagers now, so it's like, hey, wake up! Go to school! But when you're a kid, it's, it's a lot different. But listen, if a fire breaks out in your house, I mean, 
do you want your parents to like come over and be like, hey, wakey, wakey? Like, <laughs> no, you want them to be like, wake up, wake up. Is that less loving for your parents to yell at you to wake up when there's a fire? No, it's not an angry yelling. It's a loving yelling. I think Jesus looks at us and he sees our life sometimes going down in flames and he's like, wake up. It's not a hateful yell. It's a loving yell. He sees how much we are missing as we sleep. When you're sleep, you're, you're senseless. Your senses are gone. You can't see, hear, smell, feel, or taste. Uh, you can show the most beautiful painting in the world to a sleeper, and they'll just be like, like they, they won't care because they're asleep. They'll see nothing. Listen, every message, God has something he wants to say to you. The question is, are you listening? Are you awake? It's a repeated message. Often he says this through our circumstances. As we go through sickness, Jesus says, wake up, I'm here. As we go through temptations, wake up, I'm here. As you suffer through good grades and bad grades, wake up, I'm here. As you deal with family problems, Jesus says, wake up, I'm right in front of you. Trials have a way of lulling us to the sleep of hopelessness. As you go through trials, you say, nothing will ever change. I'm done. I can't go on. I can't do this. God says, I love you. I'm here with you in your trial. Awake, awake. It's a right now message for you, not a message for years to come. Can you imagine? If there's a fire, again, the fire analogy, and and your parents looked at the fire, and they're like, I'm going to wake up that kid next year. (laughs) No, no, it's a right now message. He's not setting alarms for later. Listen, he wants you now. The song goes, how deep the Father's love for us, and it's so true. I remember hearing this story of just a man who's sitting in a restaurant, and he's just waiting for this girl to show up, and the waiter comes over, and he goes, oh, sir, waiting again? He's like, yep, I'm gonna keep waiting, and he's like, all right, we'll hold this table for you, and the man just keeps waiting hours and hours. He's got this date with the girl, but she's not showing up, and two hours later, the waiter's like, sir, are you gonna keep waiting? He's like, Yes, sadly. I mean, I I thought she'd come, but she's not here. And then another hour goes by and the waiter comes and he's like, sir, I'm sorry, but we've got to close the restaurant for today. And and the man with a tear down his cheek, he just is like, man, I prepared this wonderful meal for her and, and she's not here. Maybe tomorrow she'll be here. And you know, that's what we do to Jesus constantly standing him up when daily he prepares moments for us to connect with him, moments for us to be with him. You might think, well, God doesn't feel that way about me. I'm not like the spiritual people here. I'm quiet. I don't stand out. My, my sin is too great. Don't you dare doubt his great love for you. It's unmatchable. And it's just, it's the greatest opportunity in the world to be in a love relationship with Christ. Like, we miss out on it. Think of it this way. I mean, like, Okay, right now, how many of you guys have a crush on somebody? Raise your hand and point to that person. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just expose your true love right now. Like, just propose. You're like, oh, I'm a pastor. I'll marry all of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. No, okay, but you, you, I mean, you all love somebody. Like, you all do. I mean, maybe there's a few of you who are like, I'm not interested right now. But for the most of you guys, if you're a normal human being, there's like one person where you're like, she's everything. <laughs> Lord, send her. She's an angel. Um, Okay, so imagine this. You know, your crush. You know, I had a crush on a girl from second grade to 10th grade. Pathetic. (laughs) She wanted nothing to do with me. It was so lame. (laughs) She, like, dated, like, five other guys. Like, she she still doesn't even know that I liked her. So, but it's okay because my wife is the best. Anyway, um, so anyway, 
Imagine that person that you're in a love relationship with that they don't know. You know, but they don't know. You've got that crush on them. And you're like dreaming, you know, one day they'll notice me. But they probably won't, right? Because, you know, they're way out of your league. It's always the people who are way out of our league. Well, imagine this. One day you open up your door to your bedroom and you come out of your room and you look down the stairs and there he or she is standing in your living room going, I love you. Like just you're like, whoa, how'd you get in my house? (laughs) That's creepy. But you're just like, oh my gosh, like I was going to tell you I love you, but now you're telling me, oh my gosh. And you're freaking out. Like just that moment of elation, that moment of joy. But then all of a sudden the reality sets in. You're like, what will we tell our parents? Like, oh my gosh, like my parents said I can't date till I'm 48. <laughs> and it's just like, what do I do? What do we do? You're like, this is crazy. And all of a sudden, your parents come in and his or her parents come in. You're like, oh no. This is, we're going to get a talking to. Well, then the parents come out and they're like, we approve of this relationship. You have our full support. Here are the keys to our car and all the monies. <laughs> Go have fun. So imagine you've got this green light from your crush and their parents. What if then you were like, all right, sweet. So uh, I guess I'll see you for an hour on Sundays, an hour on Wednesdays, babe. Going to go live my life. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, no, you'd be like, I want to spend every day with you. I want to love you. I want to learn more about you. I want to grow together in this relationship. God's love for us is a thousand bajillion times more greater than any crush you could ever have. It's actually what we were made for. When we're not loving God, we're like a bird that doesn't fly. We're like a penguin. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we were created to love God and we are given the green light by the cross and we don't take advantage of it. And you might think I'm unlovable, but you're not The Lord loves you so much. And that was his message to you when he hung and bled on the cross. We need to wake up to the love. The second thing we need to wake up to is the holiness. The holiness. You know, spiritual revivals often begin with just one person awakening to what God is doing. There's a great band called Leland, and they have a song called The Great Awakening. I'd like to read you guys the lyrics. One man awakes, and he awakens another. The second one wakes, his next door brother. Three awake can rouse a town and turn the whole place upside down. Many awake will cause such a fuss, it finally awakes all of us. One man wakes with dawn in his eyes, surely then it multiplies. It's so good, and it's not just a catchy song. You see, God is calling us to wake up to holiness. Now right there, some of you guys are just shutting me out because you're like, holiness, oh, I can't be holy. We, just like we misunderstand heaven, we misunderstand the biblical definition of holiness. You see, there's a verse in the Bible where God says, Be holy as I am holy. It's like my Mufasa. (laughs) Simba! (laughs) Scar! Brother! Help me! (laughs) Sorry. I I love Disney movies so much. Anyway, um, but we think of holiness as perfection. We say, God says, be holy. And we're like, I can't, I can't, you're holy. Be holy as I am holy. We think it means perfect. 
Be perfect as I am perfect. Human. I can't. I sinned like two seconds ago. I'm sorry. Like, we can't. We can't be perfect. So what does it mean to be holy? Like, does God just set some crazy standard that we can't meet? Here's the thing. Here's what holiness means biblically. For, for God, holiness, it's his complete, unique amazingness. To be holy means to be completely different and separate and pure and awesome. It's kind of like the sun. Like the sun is amazing and it's completely different from all the planets in our solar system. For instance, if I float into Mars, I'll just hit it. If I float into the sun, I'll burn up because it's so bright and fantastic and crazy and awesome. God is so holy. He's so unique and amazing and perfect and beautiful. But there's a different meaning for holiness when he talks to us. When he talks to us about holiness, he's not saying to you, be perfect. Because you can't. Jesus can, but you can't. What he's saying is be set apart for a purpose. That's what holiness means. It means to make yourself set apart for a purpose. For instance, how many of you guys have ever played a sport? How many of you guys practiced for that sport? How many of you guys sacrificed for that sport? How many of you guys changed your diet and exercise regimens for that sport? Anybody? So what you did was you made yourself holy for basketball. (laughs) That's what you did. You're like, I could go eat donuts and stay in bed all day, but I shall make myself holy for basketball. (laughs) And you set yourself apart. You go and you do different things and you follow different rules because you have an end goal in sight. That's what the meaning of holiness is for us. God calls you to his purposes. He's not saying be perfect because you can't. He's saying follow the perfect one who can be perfect and work out his perfection in and through you. There's a story of a man named Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher and he was very concerned for one of his students in his class working at a shoe store. That student was a young boy named Dwight Moody who was a shelf stalker. Well, Kimball shared Jesus with him. He said, Moody, God is calling you to be holy, set apart for his purposes. Moody goes on to be a great evangelist. He gets saved, gives his life to Jesus, sets himself apart for the purpose, dedicates his life to Jesus. He speaks at this tiny church in the British Isles. And he told his story about his old Sunday school teacher, Kimball, who led him to Christ. And that message impacted the pastor of a church named Frederick Meyer. Frederick Meyer went from a pastor content with preaching to his tiny group of people to an evangelist who was saying, I've got to reach the lost. I've got to get out of the walls of my church and reach the world. So Meyer came to America to preach and ended up in Massachusetts. And a young preacher named J. Wilbur Chapman heard Meyer preach. Meyer said this, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? Wilbur Chapman at that moment decided, I'm, I'm a preacher, but I'm not following Christ. I've got to truly follow Christ's following of my life. So Chapman went on to be one of the most effective evangelists of all time. As Chapman's ministry grew into a traveling gospel crusade, there was a young volunteer named Billy Sunday who was helping set up chairs. And Billy Sunday learned how to preach watching Chapman. And Billy Sunday eventually took over for Chapman, and he became one of the most dynamic preachers of all time and led thousands to Christ. 
There was a small group of Christians who were dedicated to reach their city who were inspired by Billy Sunday and they started their own crusade and invited a preacher named Mordecai Ham to speak. He was a tall, skinny teenager and he sat in those meetings listening to every word. And as the pastor preached, the teenager felt God was speaking directly to him and the young man accepted Jesus and his name was Billy Graham. And Billy dedicated his life to reaching people with the gospel. Billy Graham has now preached to more people than anyone else in history. And it all started with a small Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball, who made himself holy, not perfect, but set apart for God's purposes. You see, you can never predict how God will call someone or how he'll change history through a life, but we see him do it all the time. I remember there was a guy named Brad Hall I met who was a missionary in Australia. And I asked Brad, I was like, dude, how did you become a missionary? You know, how did you get saved? He's like, it's pretty crazy. He's a Californian like me. So he's like, yeah, bro. I was just down by the beach, like by the pier. And this guy came up to me and was like, hey, did you know Jesus loves you, bro? And I was like, no, bro. He's like, bro, he does. (laughs) And he just walked away, bro. (laughs) And I just thought about it for three weeks and God got a hold of me and now I'm a pastor missionary, man. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. The Lord just works in crazy ways if we're just faithful to deliver the message. I want to tell you guys a story in the book of First Kings. If you want to flip over to First Kings, or no, Second Kings, sorry, um, chapter 22. I want to tell you guys about Josiah. While you're flipping uh, to Second Kings chapter 22, I'll tell you about him. Josiah was eight years old when he began to be king. Eight years old. That's crazy. I would not want anyone to put an eight-year-old in charge of any country. That sounds like disaster. Um, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedediah. (laughs) Jedediah. It's a boy's name. Jedediah, come on over here. His mother's name was Jedediah, the daughter of Adiah, of Bazta, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or left. Josiah was an eight-year-old king, and he had a legacy. He did what was right in God's eyes. You see, when Josiah became king, it was a time in Israel's history where they had horrible kings who did not follow God. They were wicked kings. Josiah's grandpa, Manasseh, 55 years of evil and animal child sacrifices and idolatry. His father, Ammon, was also wicked. When Josiah became king, It's crazy. He's this eight-year-old guy, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to do right in God's eyes. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be set apart for a purpose. You see, the temple, the church at the time, was neglected for generations. You know, for us, we need to realize that a lot of times, the beginning of holiness, it starts with worship. It starts with us going back to those places where we once connected with God in worship and lighting those fires again in our life. The Bible says that our bodies are a temple of God. Is your body a place of worship? Is worship happening on a regular basis in your heart and demonstrated in your life? And worship, guys, is not just songs. Worship is how you live your life. Is your life a prayer of sacrifice to the Lord? In 2 Kings 22, Josiah, while restoring the temple, found something amazing in the trash can. He found the Torah, which if you guys don't know what that is, for the Hebrews at the time, that was their Bible. It was the scrolls of Moses. And at 26 years old, Josiah reads the Old Testament for the first time. It brings him to his knees. He never knew what God had written in his word. 
He had never knew God's commandments, God's mission, God's purpose, God's passion, God's heart to save the world through a future Messiah. And his heart was exposed to God's word and he's convicted to the core. And he says in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 10, he said, great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. To him, the words in that book were worth more than gold. And he sees through the first time holiness. He sees the children of Israel set apart. He learns his family history. We are called to be set apart for Yahweh, our God. And then he looks at the corruption. The corruption in his life and in the kingdom. Look at chapter 23. 2 Kings 23, verse 1. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, and all the people from least to greatest. And he read to them in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book, then all the people pledge themselves to the covenant. Here's what a covenant is. A covenant is an agreement and partnership between God and someone. It's God saying, hey, will you join me on my mission? Can we work together? And that's what God has always wanted with people. Ever since the beginning, remember back in the garden, last night we were talking about God puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he gives them a covenant. I will be your God. I will take care of you. I will love you. I will protect you. Let's rule this world together. Let's build cities. Let's build gardens. Let's take care of the animals. Let's rule this world. My covenant, my, see a covenant has terms. It has conditions. And God usually is the one giving us everything and he usually gives us just some simple rules. And he just says, I'll give you everything, just don't eat from that tree. And Adam and Eve break the covenant. So God continues to make covenants. He makes covenants with Moses. He makes covenants with Noah, covenants with Abraham, covenants with David, all these agreements. Is there a covenant between you and God? If you're a Christian, yes, there is. You've agreed not just to ask Jesus into your heart with a prayer, but to partner with God in what he's doing in the world. You've said, Jesus, I pledge myself to you. You're my king. You're my Lord. And Josiah realizes for the children of Israel, we haven't been keeping the covenant. We haven't made Christ our king. So Josiah goes on a rampage of holiness. And and it says that he goes and he throws out all the false gods and idols and burns them. You're like, oh, big deal, it's statues. To us today, that'd be like if someone came in your house and was like, I'm burning all your Playstations. I'm throwing out all the cell phones. Like, that's what it would be. You'd be like, oh, that's crazy. He he killed all the priests of the false god. Uh, He burned the Asherah pole, which is this pole to honor the false false goddess Asherah, and he scattered the dust of it in graveyards. Um, He tore down the house of the male prostitutes who sold their bodies in the temple. He destroyed a women's sewing class, which I don't understand why he did that. That was weird. (laughs) Read in the chapter. (laughs) You guys are knitting? (laughs) Idolatry. Um, (laughs) He destroyed the altars of Molech, so that means no more child sacrifices. He removed the horses and destroyed the chariots that were dedicated to the sun god. He smashed the altars of the false gods and threw the rebel into the valley, and he covered them with the bones of false prophets. Chapter 25, or verse 25 says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength. So for us, the question is, how do we wake up to holiness? Where does it start? What did Josiah find in the trash? 
found the scriptures. He found the word of God. You know, for some of us, I don't know if you are like me. I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in a Christian home. I've got like 20 Bibles on my shelf. Do I read them? (laughs) If you're like me, you've got like 10 Bible apps on your phone. Do you open them? Josiah opens the book and his life is changed. There's a story in the Gospels where Peter is with Jesus and the other disciples and Jesus says some weird stuff. He says um, to a group of people, just imagine, you know, your guest beer comes and he's like, hey guys, so um, later on today we're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He'd be like, that's weird, you're a vampire, I'm leaving. That's what Jesus does, he gets up and he, he's talking about communion, but people don't get it. They're like, eat your flesh and drink your blood. That's really creepy, Jesus. So people leave, and Jesus looks at his disciples and he goes, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter goes, where would we go? You have the words of life. Is that what you say to Jesus? Lord, where would I go? You have the words of life. I remember there was this story I heard of a pastor named Carl Lentz. Um, Some of you guys know him. He's down here in New York, I think, Hillsong. Um, So Carl Lentz was talking about how when he was a young guy, he was really struggling, and he went through a period where he backslid. He was a follower of Jesus, but he wanted to just do his own thing, so he left the church, and he was just living for himself and partying and just doing all this stuff. And his sisters cared about him so much, his younger sisters, that they actually broke into his apartment and they left Bible verses on sticky notes all over his apartment. So he like, you know, he gets up in the morning and, you know, he's like, oh, I can't do it. I can't live for Jesus. And he looks in the mirror and and on the mirror, there's a sticky note. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, he, he gets on his pillow at night and all of a sudden there's a sticky note. Awake, oh sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will give you life. And what he says is it was that example of his sisters caring enough to break into his house and leave those Bible verses that led him back to the Lord. And he says this wonderful phrase, God's words change our world. And I love that. I love that. His words change your world. We need to live by the book. You see, his word is a mirror and we look into it and it shows us the dark things in our own heart, but it doesn't just show us the darkness in our own heart. It shows us the way out of the darkness. It doesn't, the Bible is not just something where you look at and you go, oh man, this makes me feel bad. This makes me feel like a sinner. It gives you hope because it shows you how you can find your salvation in Jesus, not just the salvation. We need to get past this idea that it's only about being saved from hell. Listen, we need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved from our sin nature on a daily basis. We're messed up and we need a savior. Josiah sees the messed up stuff and he goes on a rampage to remove sin. You see, being holy means set apart for a purpose. Set apart for a purpose. Are you? The next thing we need to wake up to is our need for Christ. Why do we feel we need to be happy? Why do we feel the need for stuff, comfort, things, security? Because we feel like it'll give us happiness. So how do we get those things? Money, right? Evelyn Adams won the New Jersey lottery twice in 1985 and 1986 for $5.4 million. Today the money is all gone and Adams lives in a trailer on food stamps. Evelyn says, I won the American dream, but I lost it too. It was a very hard fall. It's called rock bottom. 
William Bub Post now scratches out a living on his 450 social security checks and food stamps after winning the 16.2 million lottery back in 1988. William Post says, I wish it never happened. It was a total nightmare. I was careless and foolish, trying to please others, and now I'm tired. I'm over 65 years old, and I just had a serious operation for a heart aneurysm. He says, lotteries don't mean anything to me. Ken Proxmere used his $1 million that he won to go into the car business when he won the Michigan lottery. Within five years, he was bankrupt. William Hurt spent his $3.1 million he won in the Michigan lottery on his divorce and crack cocaine. Within two years, he was broke and charged with murder. Charles Riddle won the Michigan lottery for $1 million in 1975. What happened was his marriage came apart and he was sued by people wanting his money. And he was arrested for being a cocaine dealer. Money doesn't solve our problems. Money is not the answer. It can't give us what we need. In the tropics of Africa, there's this disease that affects many. It's called the sleeping sickness. In 1901 through 1904, more than 100,000 people died in a single area from this sleeping sickness. And it was caused by a parasite called a tiny, it it was a tiny fly. And that tiny fly bite transferred the parasite, slowly multiplying in the victim's blood. It was a painless disease, you see, because it only caused drowsiness and sleep. No pain, just drowsiness and sleep, but eventually it led to death. Before these facts were known, people saw no connection between the fly bites and death. They didn't realize that all these flies in their village were what was causing the virus being spread. So they didn't even bother to brush the flies away. Listen, the enemy is just like that fly. He brings sin and compromise and apathy into our lives, but it's so common that we don't even brush it away. Have you gotten to that point where sin is so common that you don't even care anymore? Where you feel no conviction when you're scrolling through social media and you just see the sin on the Instagram, but you don't, even, you don't even bother to feel any sense of like, this is not right. Instead, you just hit like. Is that where you're at? I've been there. I remember once when I was younger, I saw something on TV that I shouldn't have seen. And I was really, I was really young and I remember it was something inappropriate. By today's standards, it would honestly be so tame. But back then I knew it was wrong and I broke down and started crying because I knew I wasn't supposed to see that. But I'll tell you, over time, I had seen so much that, like, for a, for a while, it just didn't phase me anymore. And that's what happens. We become desensitized to sin. We become sleepy to sin. We look at sin, and we don't even care. But that sleep leads to death. If you knew that there were poisonous flies landing on you, wouldn't you swipe them away? If you truly knew Satan's poison, what would you do to keep him away from your life? Listen, your conscience is asleep. I want to tell you guys today, if you're here today, your conscience, and that means the Holy Spirit telling you right from wrong, it may be asleep if you allow yourself to participate in sin on a regular basis without care or remorse. If you're constantly giving in to sin, you're constantly giving in to the flesh, and you're just thinking, this is just a part of who I am. This is just me. This is just what I do. I don't really care. Who cares? I mean, God will forgive me one day. Listen, you're asleep. 
If you live without self-reflection, you might be asleep. Listen, we've lost the art of self-reflection in this day and age. What self-reflection is, is it's when you take time to think on your life the good and the bad and then give it to Jesus. We don't do that. You know what we do? I'll tell you what I do because I'm like you. I'm human. I like to think about the good parts of my life. When I sit around and think about myself, I like to think about the things people like about me, the nice things people say, the good things I've done, the things that make me feel like a good person. You know what I don't like to think about? My sin. I don't like to sit there and think about the destruction that my sin has caused in my life and in the life of the people that I love because that doesn't make me feel good. But God has called us to say, search my heart, oh God, if there's anything in me that's wrong, if there's anything in me that's not good, bring it to mind so that I can lay it at your feet and be healed from it. If you're here today, You may be asleep if you rarely feel a desperate need for God. And if you had a friend who was starving, you know, they're anorexic, they're they're literally like skin and bones, and you ask them about it, and they're like, I just am not hungry. I just don't have a desire for food. Would you just be like, oh, okay, that's cool. I accept that. No, if you loved your friend, you'd be like, we got to get you help. Some of us, that's where we are spiritually, We're like, I don't need it because I'm not hungry for it. Is that true with food? If you're not hungry for it, but then you're skin and bones, no, you still need it. You may be asleep today if you find yourself drawn to sensual and carnal things constantly. Just the the things of the world, the sexual temptations, the fame and the greed, the popularity and the social standing. If those are your driving forces, then the kingdom of God, like we said last night, cannot be your goal. You can't serve two masters. And you may be asleep if you ignore warning signs from God and others constantly telling you the way. You may be asleep if you ignore those warning signs and you just consistently do whatever you want to do. Listen, sleeping does not give us the whole picture. I remember the story about a man who slept on a plane when something happened. Because he was in a deep sleep, he could only feel the things around him through his sensations. So his eyes are closed, he's asleep. At first he thought something pleasant had happened because it became very warm all around him. Then he thought he was having a wonderful dream because he felt like he was flying through the air. He's in this plane, all of a sudden, warm sensation. I feel like I'm flying. The plane had exploded. So now he's flying through the air and there's this flame behind him and he wakes up and he realizes that's where we can be. Guys, those sleeping in sin, we feel the warm pleasures, but we don't realize we're in a plane headed for a crash. The warm pleasures of sin lead many to the fires of hell. And it's a problem of dependence. It's not knowing who we need to depend on. You see, I had a friend, a friend named Lexi, who got married and had a new baby. And her husband was a consistent drinker. He was constantly drunk. And through his own efforts, he was able to stop drinking. And he used to be chubby, but he lost weight. And he was better looking after he quit drinking. And so he became prideful because he looked at his new body and he looked at himself with his newfound ability to quit drinking. And he said, I did this. He became prideful. He said, I did this. And he looks at his wife who now has a body that's different from when they first were together because she's just had their son. And so he thinks, I can do better than her. 
And so he decides he's not in love with her and he asks for a divorce and he leaves the wife and the newborn baby and a family is ruined and shattered because no man can trust God and himself at once. Listen, your self-reliance must be destroyed or it will destroy you. Who are you relying on? It's never a good idea to rely on ourselves because we can't trust ourselves. But there's hope. For those of you here today who are spiritually asleep, there's hope because if you're here today and you're a Christian, if you're a sleepy Christian, you need to know that the awakener is in the heart of every sleeper. You don't have to go looking for him. The the story of the prodigal son, we see a man who is lost. This young man who is father, he, he takes his father's money and he runs and he goes into the city and then he loses all his money and he thinks, man, my father hates me. I can't come home. I can't go back to my father. And he thinks, I've got to work my way back to him. You know, he's going to hate me. I'm going to have to take a job in the stable and maybe one day he'll love me again. And he thinks he's got to just climb his way back to the Lord. And the father says, no, I love you. And the father runs to him and embraces him. That's the story of the gospel. Some of you guys here today, maybe you've slipped. You're a Christian, but you've got a saved soul and a wasted life, and you've backslidden into a life of sin, and what you think is, I've got to work my way back to God. You you look at God like he's on a mountain, and you've got to climb back up to him, this spiritual climbing where it's like, if I just read my Bible every day for like a year, then maybe God will love me again. Listen, no, no. God doesn't say to you, you need to climb back up to me. God says, the minute that you turn your heart back to me, I run to you. He bridges the distance. He closes the gap. I love that about the Lord. Today, you may be ignoring God's plan for your life in favor of your own. And what I think of that is, it's like a guy who brings a shovel to the Grand Canyon. And he takes a quick look at the Grand Canyon. And then he bends down and he digs his own little hole in the ground. And he turns to people and he goes, look at I, I made this. This is huge. This is awesome. It's like, no, the Grand Canyon's right behind you. Listen, I know the issues and problems and plans of your life seem big to you, but if you focus on them, you're like the guy looking at that tiny little hole he dug in the ground instead of the Grand Canyon of God's dreams for your life. Don't live your life thinking all there is to it is grades, money, video games, boyfriends, girlfriends, sports tournaments, work, status, success, getting your kids into college one day, that's not all there is to it. We're just focusing on our little life and ignoring the great big possibility of what God has for us. Without God directing your life, you're someone like sleeping in a nice boat drifting down the river to Niagara Falls. Are you ready to meet God? John Corson writes this, wake up. Look what's happening in your lives. I know of young men who could have turned this world upside down for the Lord. I know of young guys who could have really made a mark for the kingdom. But because they weren't awake to the word of God and what it says about filthiness, coarse jesting and cleanliness, fornication and pornography, they're ineffective to this day. And I've seen that. I've seen people in my own youth group who were called to follow Jesus, who had a mark on their life, and instead they fell into sleeping around and drugs and just laziness and just wasting their life and not giving it to Jesus. Sometimes we look at a dog chewing at furniture and we say, oh, that's so cute. Look at that little puppy. This is so cute. Have you ever had a dog attack you? 
Have you ever had like someone else's dog attack you? Have you ever noticed how they make excuses for the dog? They're not like, oh my gosh, are you okay? They're like, he's all right. He's fine. The dog's like, like biting you. And you're just like, they're like, eh, he's, he's okay. No one ever looks at the dog and is like, stop that. <laughs> they're just like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? They think it's cute. We need to stop looking at our sin like it's cute and look at it more like it's a rabid dog. There's a huge difference between how we act when we're alone and when we know that other people are watching. We need to remember God is always watching. He's always with us. This is the last thing I'll say here. Maybe you've come through a lot. Maybe you've grown a lot this year. You need to know that if you've grown in the Lord, you're a target. The enemy sees you as a target. And he wants you to be self-satisfied. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to look at yourself and go, I've made it. I'm here. I've accomplished it. I'm at camp. That's as far as I need to go. It's all downhill from here. Listen, Jesus looks at us. Please pay attention to these last words I'll say. Jesus looks at us and he goes, I'm not satisfied. Now, you might trip out on that and be like, well, I thought the Lord's satisfied in us because we're his kids. Listen, I'm not saying Jesus looks at you and he goes, your work isn't enough. Do more for me. Serve me more. Y'all never be satisfied. That's not what I'm talking about. Listen, if you have a doctor and you have cancer, do you want the doctor to look at that cancer in you and he removes just a little bit of it, but there's still more? Do you want him to go, I'm satisfied with that. That's okay. That's good. No, you want that doctor to look at you and go, I will not be satisfied until I completely remove all of that from your life. That's what the Lord wants for you. He looks at the sin in your life and he goes, I won't be satisfied until I've made you like me. And you're on a journey and you mess up and you fall and you make mistakes, but every time you fall, you need to get back up. And here's the awesome thing. Jesus doesn't look at us when we fall on the ground and say, get back up. No, he kneels down. He gets on the ground beside us and he takes our hand and says, let's do this. Walk with me. That's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray for this awesome group of high schoolers that you would help them to see the calling that they have on their lives. You've called so many of them to do great things, to bless the world, to reach people, to love people, to live for your kingdom. But God, some of them are asleep. Some of them are here and they need to wake up to the reality of who you are and what you're doing and the love that you have for them. We thank you so much for that love. We don't deserve it, but we need it desperately, like we need food. God, help us to wake up to you. Help us to quit sleeping in sin. Help us, Lord, not to realize that you're yelling at us angrily because you hate our sin, but that you're lovingly call us to wake up because you look at our sin like something that's hurting us and killing us and you want to free us from it. I pray that many students this camp would wake up to what you're doing in their lives and walk in that awakeness. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in your name. Amen.